0: Welcome to the teaching ministry at Magnolia's First. We hope the next few minutes will help you take your next steps on your faith journey. And we would love to help you take those next steps. Just head over to m1bc.org and fill out the Connect form, and a pastor will get in touch with you very soon. Or you can text us at 281-343-3033. Well, good morning. I love watching that film with the children of this church. and. And seeing the way that God is working through their lives. And I just want to tell you, this is free. I'm the world's worst about taking vacation. I I just want to confess it. Every time I put vacation on my calendar, my wife just kind of giggles. And then when I do take it, she says, now, I just want to know, is that a vacation from sitting in the office and going from church to church? Or are you just going to bring your work here and do it? And I say, I I plead the fifth. But I'm saying all that to say this. I lose vacation time every year. But I'm taking a week of vacation next week. So I can be at vacation Bible school. That's how important it is to me. And so I'm going to tell you, when I hear that we need eight or ten more of these folks, ten more, ten or twelve, just in case somebody gets sick or gets cold feet, I'm just telling you, if I can make it happen, make it happen. Because there is time still. We need you to go through child safety training, background check. It's not overwhelming, but folks, we take seriously safeguarding children. So we're not going to turn you loose because you walked in on Monday and said, okay, I'm willing to get a whistle. So we, I need you today to let Chelsea know, Haley know, Milt know, let one of us know that you want to be part of this. And you might say, I'm not, I'm not even sure that I'm competent to walk around with a group of children. That's okay. We'll put you in the parking lot. And after you spend a week in the parking lot in July, you'll get competent. (laughs) It'll work out great. Man, wasn't that a great camp report? Man, I'm so excited for Daniel. Yeah, I'm telling you, I got so excited. I thought, there's not a lot of times that a man gets to baptize his fiancee. And as I was watching him hold, her, hold Chelsea under the water, then bring her back up, I thought, brother, you give it six months, there's going to be some times that she holds you under the water. <laughs> you may or may not make it back up, but that's OK. That's OK. But it was just so great to see that. This morning, we're continuing in the message, Tell Me the Story. Our story's been illustrated by Brianna Scott, daughter of Forrest and Kelly. And we're grateful for that family and great-looking family, wonderful family, and we thank you, Brianna. So let's say thank you to Brianna for illustrating <laughs> our story today. So we're gonna be in the book of Daniel, chapter three. And so i like to ask you to look with me in the book of Daniel, chapter three, as we look at the story of three friends who stood together to stand strong for the Lord. And as you look at the story of Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, or as you may know them even better, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, we're going to see in their lives the illustration of a very important principle that applies to you and me today, which is how do I live out my faith in a culture that often is antagonistic to my faith or in disagreement? with my faith. Now, I think it's very important as we go into this July 4th celebration is we recognize the founding of our nation. And on Tuesday, there's going to be bottle rockets, and there's going to be smoke bombs, and there's going to be all kinds of things happening, and especially across the street from my house. And usually it starts at midnight. And so I really am grateful when the 4th of July is not on a Saturday night, because sometimes getting up next morning is a little tougher. But we live in a nation that was founded with the ideals of freedom. So how do we live in this nation, in the world that we live in, but particularly in our nation, if the things that we believe aren't necessarily popular? What's our response? Matter of fact, today we're going to do something different during the prayer time than we normally do. While I'm certainly going to be here and we're going to have deacon families available, largely what we want to ask you to do in the prayer time, and I'm going to just ask you to think about it now, is for us to be able to gather here at the front and let's just take some time to pray for our nation. And so I'm going to invite you to do that at the end as we think about what it says in the book of Daniel. So we literally are going to reach back 2,600 years to get an answer for today about how do I live my faith out in a culture that doesn't agree with Jesus. Let's pray. Father, as we look at the story of these three young men, may we see, may we see their faith May we see the choices they made, and may you strengthen us to understand how to walk in the world that you have trusted us with in this moment that we're in. For we pray in Jesus, your holy name. Amen. Daniel chapter 3. We are told that King Nebuchadnezzar, ruler of Babylon, has come to the place in which he wants to demonstrate his glory in such a way that he has built this huge furnace on the plains of Dura, and he has erected there a gold statue. Now, we think it's probably a gold-plated statue, but think about this. It is nine feet wide, and it is 90 feet tall. That's tall. And he wants everybody to come and to recognize his throne, recognize the statue that he has made, and to fall down and to worship it. He orders all the officials of his kingdom to come together. And as they gather together, the Bible says in Daniel chapter 3, verse 4. And the herald proclaimed aloud, You are commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages, that when you hear the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigon, the harp, the bagpipe, and every kind of music, you are to fall down and worship the golden image that the king Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into the burning, fiery furnace." It wasn't enough to say, in the furnace, or the burning furnace, it's the burning, fiery furnace, emphasis. But there was a group of men that gathered in that place. They too were officials, but see, they weren't happy. They weren't happy because Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and Daniel, but especially these three, because of their faithfulness and their consistency of character, had risen up and had been given some amazing opportunities over the kingdom. And they didn't like it. They were envious. They were judgmental, and they wanted something done about it. And they saw their opportunity. The Bible says in Daniel 3.12, there were certain Jews, and they're bringing this accusation to King Nebuchadnezzar, And they say, hey, king, there are certain Jews who you have appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods. Or worship the golden image that you have set up and I want you to think about this isn't a small charge because remember at this time if you were the Babylonian king to say that someone would die was not a discussion it was a decision it meant nothing for him to simply say then you're out of here and so they come to him and say let me tell you this is who you put in charge. You put in charge people who don't pay attention to you. You put in charge people who don't believe in the God you believe in. And you put in charge people who, after you've done all this work and have brought this huge image for us to all gather and be unified around, they won't even take a knee and acknowledge what you've done. Verse 13. Verse 13. Nebuchadnezzar, in furious rage, commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought. So they brought these men before the king, and Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods? You don't worship the golden image that I have set up? Now, if you are ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigon, the harp, the bagpipe, and every kind of music, to fall down and worship the image that I have made well and good, But if you do not worship, you will immediately be cast in a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? You don't pay attention to me? You don't worship the gods I worship? You won't take a knee before this image that I have created guess what you're gonna pay a price and who can deliver you from my intentions and you know something that made total sense to Nebuchadnezzar because I, I want you to remember that this is a culture that they were in that believed in many gods polytheism, syncretism, that was no problem. They didn't understand because if you came from afar and because Nebuchadnezzar would have had multiple gods that would have been present in the kingdom, the idea would be you can worship your God, just make sure that you don't worship your God at the exclusion of the others. Just make sure that you don't isolate just to one because we're a big nation and we're a big kingdom. And there is more than just one God. So for Nebuchadnezzar, this made total sense. And you know what? Today, you and I are in a culture that doesn't understand a person of faith who won't accept everything the culture says is good as being true. Especially, especially when there are those who are Christians Who call themselves Christians, who go to churches that call themselves Christians, that have already embraced what the culture has said is right, regardless of what God's Word says. It reminds us of what Paul wrote in 2 Timothy 4 3 For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but have itching ears that will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. And we today are facing a reality that many times people choose a church home based upon finding a church they can agree with instead of finding a church home that agrees with God's Word. Jesus, when he talked about the church and how the gates of hell will not prevail against it and how it would be eternal. He was talking about the true church, not a pseudo church. The decision that you make to be faithful to the historic Christian doctrines that are found in God's word will not come without a price. You have to know you have to know not everybody's going to clap and cheer and applaud. Nebuchadnezzar laid down this challenge bow down or get burnt down. Which would they do? Daniel 3 16 says, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, but if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Where did this kind of furnace faith come from? I mean, think about it. Where did that kind of resolve come from? Here's what I want you to hear. The faith that says whether he delivers me or not, I'm going to trust him. The faith that comes whether he delivers me or not, I'm going to serve him. The faith that comes from I will choose him over everything else doesn't come from that critical moment. It comes from all the moments from before. If we want to understand that furnace faith, we have to go back to Daniel 1. We have to go back. To what it says at the beginning. Because remember, the Babylonian Empire at this time is the greatest empire on earth. It is 600 B.C. They are whipping everybody. They are taking over the known world. Nebuchadnezzar is feared because of his ability to come in. He besieges Jerusalem. He takes it. He then does what he often did, is he would take among the people of the kingdoms that he conquered, and he would say, go look out and let's find the best of their youth, and let's bring them back to Babylon, and we're going to train them into becoming like us. It says in Daniel 1.3, Then the king commanded Aspenaz, the chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of the nobility, youths without blemish, of good appearance, skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, competent to stand in the king's palace, and to teach them the literature and the language of the Chaldeans." He sought to integrate them into the culture of Babylon. And this included Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And as part of the culturalization, they renamed them. Because one of the things that they would do to make sure you become like them is take away the name of your nation, that your nation would have heard and give you a name that their people would have understood. So Daniel Hananiah and Mishael had their name changed. What's interesting is Daniel means God is my judge. Hananiah, Yahweh has been gracious. Mishael, who is like our God. Azariah, Yahweh has helped. And they changed the name to Belshazzar, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And each of the four names that they were given were in direct relationship to the gods of Babylon. Because they said, we want you to move your allegiance from your regional God, Yahweh, to our gods. Because after all, your God didn't save you from occupation. Your God didn't save you from decimation. You should choose the gods that are powerful. And see, this is what happens in the world. It often mistakes temporary victory, For long-term results and you know today renaming still goes on there's people today that want to rename you if you have historic Christian beliefs for instance they would put a label and they would say this they would say we want you to be flexible in what you believe and if you're not flexible you're considered dogmatic. We want you to be accepting. Can't we just be accepting of everything and of everyone? And if you're not accepting, and by that it means you accept and agree, then you're judgmental. They would say, well, can't we just embrace that we live at a new day and in a new time? Can't you just embrace the new reality? And if you don't embrace it, You're considered dangerous. Here's what I want you to hear. As soon as you can label somebody, you can also dismiss them. But can I just talk to my church family for just a moment and say this? We need to be very careful that we don't do the same thing. That we don't put labels on people. That we don't just quickly say, oh, well, they're liberal. Oh, or they're conservative. Oh, they are woke. Oh, they're this. Whatever the label is, let me tell you something. As soon as you move from somebody's name to a label, you lose the fact that they are created in the image of God. And I may not agree with them, I may not believe as they believe, I may not embrace things the way that they embrace it, but I am not free to not love them and value them and to treat them in a way that gives them a path to meeting Jesus. That's being the church. Speaking the truth in love. Now, there's some principles that are found in the book of Daniel about how do you live in a culture that doesn't agree with you that I want you to think about with me the bible says in Daniel 1:8 but Daniel resolved because here they brought these young men in they brought them to the court and now they're going to prepare them. It would take three years. They're going to prepare them so that they can serve. And the Bible says in Daniel 1.8, but Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself because what the king said was, you feed them from my table, you give them what I get to drink, you feed them with the food of Babylonia. And literally Daniel said, it's just not kosher. But I want you to notice something. I want you to notice the first principle, and that is this. Daniel and his friends determined to be faithful. The Bible literally says, Daniel resolved. And that means that Daniel didn't just think about it, but Daniel created a fixed point in his heart, a stake by which he made a commitment. And it was like he was saying, this is a place where I will not be moved. This is it for me. That's resolve. Resolve is not a fluctuating moment. It is a solid decision. So we have to decide to be faithful. But look what happens right after that. It says, therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs. That's the second principle. And that is, he was resolved, but he walked in humility He didn't approach the caretaker. He didn't go up to him and say, hey, listen, this is against my religion. Hey, listen, this is not what I eat. Hey, listen, I'm not going to do it, pretty boy. What are you going to do about it? He came to him, and the Bible says, literally, he humbly asked. And I will tell you that sometimes the reason why we get in trouble is because of attitude, not the ask. He walked in humility. And he said this to him, Daniel 1.12. Test your servants for 10 days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. And then let our appearance and the appearance of the youth who eat the king's food be observed by you. And deal with your servants according to what you see. And that's the third principle. And that is practicing that daily obedience. And Because he said, go ahead and test us. And by the way, this, the way that the grammar is set here is not adversarial. It's not meant in a way of Daniel saying, okay, go ahead, try it out. It's more about Daniel saying, listen, if you'll walk with us in this, evaluate us. You watch our lives. You watch the lives of the others. And for 10 days, you give us what we are telling you we need for our diet. And at the end of 10 days, you see whether or not we're in better shape than the other team, the rest of them. That daily obedience. And see, the reason why I think that is so important is because, see, what happens is is that when it comes to furnace faith, we think at some moment we're going to suddenly have the resolve we need to have when the resolve is about every single day. Every single day, I'm spending time with the Lord. Every single day, I'm waking up to his word. Every single day, I'm having time in prayer. Every single day, I'm asking, Lord, give me the opportunity to share my faith with someone else. Every single day, I'm asking, how do I serve those that God has entrusted me with? Every single day, I'm asking those questions. Lord Jesus, is my heart being more and more conformed to be like you, that this relationship I'm in has a consequence Every single day. And I will tell you that the Lord cannot transform your life the way that he wants to. If all you do is get up on a Sunday, grab a Bible you've not touched until then. Gone to church and say, well, I hope it's worth my time. If you spend time with the Lord every day, when you get here on a Sunday, it's a hallelujah day, not a gee whiz, I hope I can survive this one. (laughs) You know, this morning I was thinking about it. I I, want to tell you, every Sunday since 1st of April, I have woken up and thought, today I get to go to First Magnolia. There's not been one Sunday that I woke up and said, oh, Today, I have to go. You know, there's a difference, isn't there? Guarantee there's a difference. And what I want you to hear is this. The Lord is ready wherever you are today to take you exactly where you are and say, come on, I've got more good for you. Just come on. I've got stuff you haven't even seen yet. It's going to be good. Everyday obedience. But also trust god fourth principle trust god for the results he said you check us out and then based upon what you see deal with us you see if if you make the commitment to be faithful, if you decide to walk before the Lord in humility and before others in genuine humility, if you make the commitment to practice daily obedience, you can trust God to do what only God can do. Not because you earned it, not because you somehow did enough brownie points to get there, but just because God is looking hard for where he can display his glory through his children. He wants to shine through your life. All four were found to be superior in intellect, ability, and they were given places of honor even above all the other candidates after the third year. The Bible says that when they were brought before Nebuchadnezzar and they were tested, nobody was smarter, nobody was wiser, nobody had greater character, and so they were given places of significant honor. God exalted them. They were blessed, they were given opportunities, they would be successful, but here's what you got to know. When you follow God and with it comes that moment in which God is exalting, you've got to know something, the enemy is looking how to attack every single time. It would cost them to be faithful. Because remember, we're now back in Daniel 3. Who's going to deliver you out of my hand? Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego looked at the king and said, this is how this works. We trust God. And he's either going to take care of us in the furnace or he's going to be with us when the furnace takes us. But either way, delivered or not, we trust him. It says in verse 19, the Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury and the expression of his face changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He ordered the furnace heated seven times more than it usually was heated. He ordered some of the mighty men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and to cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. Now, what's interesting is when they're being bound, the Bible tells us that they were bound with their clothes, their turbans, everything they had. It was like... Let's just put kindling on them. Let's make sure this sucker works. Let's heat this thing up. Seven times hotter has ever been heated. Matter of fact, it was so hot, the Bible says that as the men got close enough to throw them into the furnace, that the men who threw them in died from the heat. That's hot. But then something unexpected happened. Verse 24. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished, rose up in haste, and he declared to his counselors, did we not cast three men into the fire? And they answered the king and said, true, O king. And he answered, but I see four men unbound walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt, and the appearance of the fourth is like the sun of the gods something was happening in that furnace many believe that this was a furnace that actually had been built on the plain of Dura as a way of building the image that Nebuchadnezzar had smelted and I don't know exactly the way it was it was configured but what I do know is from where he sat he could look in and as he looked in he saw Shadrach Meshach and Abednego, and somebody he didn't expect. I want you to hear something. When you go through the fire and the enemy thinks he's gonna burn you up, Jesus is right there with you. See, I believe the fourth man in the fire wasn't like the sons of the God. I believe he was the Son of God. The technical term is a theophonic expression, the pre-incarnate Christ. Here's what I know. When they went in the fire, he was waiting for them. The Bible says the king was astonished. You know, I think of the words of Jesus Christ when he is looking at the apostles and the disciples as he's about to leave the earth and to be ascended into the Father. And he says this to them. We, we focus in on the great commission of go, therefore, and make disciples. And that is true. But think about the last thing, the very last thing he said in Matthew 28, 20. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age, Jesus made a promise to us, I am with you always. Not sometimes, not just at hard times or good times, but all the time. I'm with you always to the very end of the age. But you have to know this if you're going to be faithful to the Lord, you're going to face challenges. It's going to come. 1 Peter 1.6 says this, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Here's what you need to know. Furnace faith only comes From inside the furnace. You don't get furnace faith. Outside of the furnace. You don't get furnace faith. Reading about the furnace. You don't get furnace faith. Seeing a movie about the furnace. You don't get furnace faith. Because your best friend has furnace faith. You have furnace faith. Because you go into the furnace. Just remember this. You never go into the furnace by yourself. He's right there with you. He's right there with you. You know, the Bible says that when he pulled out these three men, that they examined their clothes, they weren't singed. They smelled them, they weren't smoky. There was no sign that they'd ever been in the furnace. But everybody there knew they had been there here's what you need to know when you walk in furnace faith God will be glorified this is the fifth principle Nebuchadnezzar verse 28 answered and said Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who has sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted him and set aside the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except their own god. You know, Every year, there are people who give their lives for the sake of Christ, literally, give their lives up. And we're at that time where we recognize those that have given up their life. And and we call a person that dies for their faith a martyr. But here's something I think that we need to remember. And that's the origin of this word martyr because it's used throughout the Scripture. But you know what is translated at in the Scripture? It's translated as witness. You see, we have made martyr into, this is someone that follows God so closely that they're willing to give up their life and die for their faith. And yet, what God was saying when he used the word martyr in the the Scripture is, I want somebody that is so faithful Faithful to me, so focused in knowing me, so willing to live for me, that their life is a martyr for me, that they live for me. And that's why Paul said, For me to live is Christ. He wants witnesses. Witnesses that are willing, whatever it takes to be faithful in sharing their faith. Because the message of the gospel that Jesus Christ came to this earth, that, that he lived a sinless life, walked in perfection, and that he by his choice mounted a cross, took on the sin of the world, my sin, your sin, that he died on the cross by choice, that he was buried and raised on the third day is a message today that some people will look at you and scoff at, but God looks at it and says, that is music to my ears, and I want my children to be my witnesses. Will you bow your heads with me? As our heads are bowed, I just want to mention that while we live at a time in which culture may not support or celebrate or embrace what the Lord says, we are called to be faithful. Not in a haughty way, but a humble way. And so as we come to this point, I just want you to know that if you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, that after the prayer time, I would welcome talking to you. You can go to the welcome table, to the outside area where the glass walls are, or you have some other decision, we certainly want to be available to you. But right now, we just want to pause and say, God, we belong to you. So, Father, as a nation, we want to cry out to you and ask God for your blessing. Father, here are your children. We want to walk in a way that draws people to you. So, give us that wisdom, Lord, as we come before you just in just a few moments as a congregation in prayer. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. So what I'm going to ask you to do in these next few moments is we're going to stand together, and then if, if you feel led or if you just even as a sacrifice, just say, I'm just going to come to the front, and, it, and I want to pray for our nation. I want to pray to be faithful, just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I'm going to give you this opportunity to be able to pray. And then at the end of the service, I I will be right down here, right here. And if you have a different question, if you want to know more about Jesus, or you've got a question, I'm available to you. But let's take this moment just to stop two days before our nation's birthday and say, Lord, we need you. And we want to pray for this nation. Let's stand together. You gather as you feel led. And then I will be leading us in prayer. Father God, as your children, we come before you and we ask, Lord, we beseech you on behalf of our nation for the hearts of our countrymen to be turned toward you, to hunger for you. Lord, you gave us in 1 Timothy chapter 2 the following instruction First of all, then I urge supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead peaceful, quiet, godly, and dignified lives in every way. And, Father, we lift before you our president, Joe Biden, and our vice president, Kamala Harris. We lift our governor, Greg Abbott. We lift the mayor of our town, Todd Cannon and our school superintendents, Todd Stevens, And we lift all the Congress people, the state representatives, those that, that provide the government by which that we live, and we ask you, God, that all of them in their way, in their responsibilities, would be mindful that they hold that position under your sovereignty. And that, God, that they would seek you, that they would seek your wisdom, And that the way that they govern and administer, we glorify you. For, Father, we all belong to you. So, Father, bless this nation. And may we bless you in all that we say and do. In the holy and precious name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.